I'd like to thank Steve and the session for inviting me to be back here with you this morning. It is always a joy to be here, see many familiar faces. And to those of you with whom I'm not familiar, by way of introduction, this church has deep significance for me and our family. I was ordained as a deacon and elder here. Our three sons were baptized here. Sally's parents were married here, and it was from here that I went to seminary in 1991. So this is a church and a people that has great meaning for me, and it's always a joy to return. Our gospel reading this morning is a continuation of the reading from last week, from the 14th chapter of the gospel according to John. Let us listen now for the word of God. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. The word of our Lord. Let us pray. O God, may these words of my mouth and these meditations of our hearts be found now and always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Diego wanted to wake. He wanted to wake to a good and perfect son that would lift the gray and dirt from the air. Diego is a character in Benjamin Sayen's novel, Carry Me Like Water. And the narrator says about Diego, he stared at his hands, his legs, his feet. He stared at himself until he remembered where he was in this room where he slept, but which could never be his. He felt himself to be always on the edge of homelessness. Not actual homelessness, you understand. The homelessness that the author is referring to is not the kind of person we encounter at the Sulzbacher Center, but rather Diego was experiencing the sense of being displaced, rootless, with no ties to home or family, the sense of being orphaned. In matters of faith, we rely heavily on metaphorical language, symbolic language, language heavy with imagery. And so we use terms like father to refer to God and children of God to refer to our relationship with him. Listen to the way Quaker writer Philip Gully uses image. When I pray for my children at night, my affection for each is the same. I suspect that's how God feels. For God, 
Every child is a firstborn. We get the sense of what he is getting at. We know that when a firstborn child drops a pacifier, we boil it for 10 minutes. By the time the second child comes along, we let the dog retrieve it. (laughs) And so when he says, for God, every child is a firstborn, that phrase bears for us meanings way beyond the literal. It's no wonder that the Bible is full of all kinds of images and metaphors for God, often described as father, like the father rushing down the road to meet his prodigal son, but at other times described as mother, like the mother who will not abandon her nursing child or the mother hen who gathers her chicks under her wings. And our gospel reading this morning also uses the parental imagery. I will not leave you orphaned. Jesus tells the disciples. The situation is tense. They are confused, afraid, emotionally on the edge, and they're with him there, gathered in the upper room for the Last Supper, the night before his arrest. He is summing things up, saying his goodbyes, and they are full of questions. Where are you going? Why can't we go too? How can we see the Father? There is fear, confusion, Sadness. And he says to them, I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming to you in a little while. You will, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And then he makes a promise. After he is gone, God's presence will still be with them to strengthen them and encourage them and Give them peace. Paul picks up the same kind of imagery in his letter to the Romans when he says that in Christ we have been adopted and made children of God. And it is my practice when I baptize a child to recite a verse from 1 John. Look what love God has for us. That we are called children of God. And so we are. It mirrors the kind of language that adoptive parents are taught to use when explaining the adoption to their child. We have chosen you. We picked you. We wanted you to be our child. I will not leave you orphaned, Jesus says. It is, of course, an image, a metaphor, a A metaphor that means I will not leave you alone, I will not leave you abandoned, I will not leave you without the presence of God in whom we live and move and have our being. The great anthropologist Margaret Mead spent a lot of time observing families in different cultures all over the world, and she found that the nuclear family of mother, father, children separated from the larger extended family of aunts, uncles, grandparents, cousins, that that separated nuclear family is found only in modern, developed countries like ours. And what's more, she found that children who grow up in a nuclear family separated from an extended family are less emotionally healthy and less mature than other children. In other words... She found that it takes more than parents to raise a child. 
The old African proverb has become kind of a cliche. It takes a village to raise a child, but it is no less true. And we need that kind of raising in our culture now more than ever. Marion Wright Edelman, the former president of the Children's Defense Fund, says never have we exposed children so early and relentlessly to cultural messages glamorizing sex, possessions, and alcohol. Never have we experienced such numbing and reckless reliance on violence to solve problems, feel powerful, and be entertained. Children are even targeted by gun manufacturers and tobacco companies. A few years ago, a gun industry spokesman was speaking to a group of gun retailers, and he said, there is a way to help ensure that new faces and pocketbooks will continue to patronize your business. Use the schools. It's time to take your pitch to young minds. It's not easy to be a parent these days, with or without an extended family when the culture itself seems to be hostile to our children. The Columbine High School killers, it is estimated, had seen in television and movies during their lifetimes 200,000 acts of violence and 40,000 murders. American children ages 2 to 5 watch an average of 47 hours of, excuse me, 27 hours of television a week. Children at that age do not distinguish between reality and fantasy. It's all the same to them. So the number one influence in their lives coming in at four hours a day is television. For them, TV is one big reality show. And there are over a thousand studies linking television violence to aggressive behavior. Last year, I saw the statistics. There were two murders by gun in New Zealand, 15 in Japan, 30 in Great Britain, in the United States, over 11,000. No orphans here, Jesus promised. But how? How do we bring that to a practical reality? Well, that's where the church comes in. That's where we come in. Because children need nurturing communities in addition to parents, communities that will spend time with them, stand with them, and stand behind them, communities that will offer an alternative to what they can get on television. That is what we promise to do, you know, when we have a baptism. You are asked, do you, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, promise to guide and nurture this child by word and deed, with love and prayer, encouraging her to know and follow Christ and to be a faithful member of his church? And when we say we do to that question, we're not promising to do it all by ourselves. We're promising to do it alongside our sisters and brothers in the community of faith. We're promising together to be mothers and fathers of all the children of God in the faith community. You promise to do it 
with your fellow members in the ways you can, at the times you can. That may be by supporting the children's and youth ministries of this church financially. It may be by offering your prayers. It may be by offering your time. Michael Lindball was pastor of a small church in rural Minnesota. When he found after worship one Sunday a member crying in the sanctuary after everyone had left, and he went over to talk to her and ask her what was wrong, and she said, well, that she had a new grandson and that her daughter Tina would like to have him baptized, but that uh, she hadn't talked to him about it. And he said, well, have Tina and her husband give me a call and we'll work it out. And she said, well, Tina's got no husband. She's 18, was confirmed in this church just four years ago. She started seeing this older boy, and, well, she got pregnant, and then he left and joined the Air Force and moved away, and she decided to keep the baby, and now she wants to have him baptized here in her church, but she's nervous about asking. You see, in that time and in that small town, The situation was controversial enough that it was taken to the session and they discussed the whole matter before finally approving it. The real problem, the real problem that the elders on the session were most concerned about was the time in the service where the minister asked, who stands with this child? And in that community, the whole extended family, aunts, uncles, grandparents, would all come forward and surround the baptismal font. Only in Tina's case, it would just be Tina and her mother, and then her situation would be apparent to everyone. So the Sunday arrived, the church was full, the elder announced, on behalf of the session, I present James, the son of Tina Corey, to receive the sacrament of baptism. And down the aisle comes Tina, a bit nervous, carrying James. And then the minister asked, who stands with this child? And her mother stood up and came forward. And Michael was about to continue on with the service when he heard a rustling in the pew and looked over, and there is Angus McDowell and his wife, Minnie, are getting up and coming down the aisle. And then a couple of the other elders stood up. And then the sixth grade Sunday school teacher started coming forward. And then a young couple, new members of the church, stood up. And pretty soon the whole congregation was standing up and surrounding James and Tina at the baptismal font. In the Church of Jesus Christ, we are, all of us, mothers and fathers of all the children of God. And because of that, there are no orphans here. 